Well, this reading is taken from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 20. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me. This is the word of the Lord. And I am in you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Penny. So we begin a, a, a short sermon series today on, on what it means to be salt, of, uh, salt and light to the world. Uh, it's a phrase that's really uh, fairly well known uh, from Matthew chapter 5. It comes uh, as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, contrary to what some people think, the Sermon on the Mount is not just the Beatitudes. It's actually a, a significant chunk of the beginning of Matthew. Uh, and, and this particular scene, uh, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people and he turns to his disciples and says to them, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Now they're fairly obvious analogies in a way in the sense that we know what light does and we know generally what salt does if we've ever done any kind of cooking or seasoning and both of them are about making a difference to the atmosphere around them. Both of them are about making a difference to what is around them. Just the smallest amount of light in the darkest of rooms can make a huge difference and just the smallest amount of salt in any recipe can make a difference uh, with or without its presence. And so uh, Jesus makes that very obvious connection with, with something that everybody would have been able to connect to and relate to. But in order to really understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying, and particularly who he's saying it to, we need to be uh, aware, really, of who is around him when he's saying it. Now, Jesus has begun his ministry, uh, we read in chapter 4, uh, the chapter before. Uh, he's had his temptation in the wilderness, uh, and he has gathered his first disciples, the group of people that he chose uh, to follow him, to learn from him. It was customary, it was normal for a rabbi of that time to choose 12 people to follow them and to teach those people uh, more about the scriptures, more about what the scriptures are saying uh, to that particular culture at that particular time. And Jesus has chosen his 12, they've begun to know him. You'll notice if, you, if you've been reading uh, the beginning and chapters of Matthew, you'll notice that in Matthew chapter 4 there's a bit of a significant time jump that's written in just a few words in Matthew chapter 4 that says that Jesus went about teaching, uh, healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, curing all kinds of diseases and as a result many people began to follow him and to hear what he had to say. And then in the verse immediately before uh, chapter 5 we read that a great crowd had begun to follow him. 
And we know because of what we read slightly after the passage in Matthew 5, through some of the questions that are asked by some of the people that are gathered, that that crowd includes a group of people who are just curious and want to know more about what this rabbi has to say. It includes a group of people who don't really like him and are opposing him. It includes religious authorities. It includes uh, leaders, uh, teachers of the law, other rabbis perhaps. It includes uh, high authorities within the Roman Empire. All kinds of people gathered round Jesus to hear what this rabbi has to say. And he is blowing out the water any opinion anyone had ever had of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is an upside down countercultural kingdom. It's not what the world expects it to be. It is everything opposite to what the world expects it to be. Jesus is ministering in a time where the best of the best are the people who have achieved their way to the top, who have earned their way to the top. They were the people that society looked up to and revered and respected. They were the people that earned the respect of those around them. They were the people expected to be the example setters to the rest of the world. And yet here he is, Jesus, in the Beatitudes, saying actually, no, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's going on the first first shall be last and the last shall be first. All these things we know that Jesus teaches, which is so countercultural to what the world says, so countercultural to what society thinks, that actually the people who earn it are the people who deserve it. But Jesus is saying, no, the people who don't deserve it are the people who earn it, the people who get the gift of grace. The kingdom of God is for those. The kingdom of God is for those who come with childlike faith. All these things that are blowing people's expectations of what the kingdom of God is like out of the water. And then he turns to his disciples, a group of dropouts, a group of really nobodies, And we know they're dropouts of school because the the way that the Jewish system worked at the time is that if you were the best of the best when you got to the end of your schooling, which was around the age of 14, uh, you would have been chosen, you would have been elected, you would have been put forward to follow a rabbi. And you'd follow that rabbi and you learn from their teaching and you grow in your understanding of the scriptures and then maybe eventually at some point in the future you may become a rabbi yourself if you really are the best of the best. But in order to have the privilege, the opportunity, the gift of being able to follow a rabbi, you need to have done well in school. And to do well in school you had to learn by heart what we know as the Old Testament. The whole thing by the age of 14. By heart. And not only do you have to have learned it by heart, you need to have begun to got an understanding of what it means. And if you'd done that by the age of 14, you would have the opportunity to follow a rabbi. But where do we find the disciples? We find them in a boat. We find them as tax collectors. We find them uh, doing daily jobs, which means they're not following a rabbi, which means they weren't good enough, which means they were dropouts, which means they were more likely actually to be teenagers rather than the bearded men we see in our pictures. And these group of dropouts are stood around Jesus, hearing these amazing messages about the kingdom of God, and they're thinking, yeah, this is great. We want to see the kingdom of God come. We want to see God establish this kingdom on earth. We're up for this. We'll support anyone who wants to do it. And they're stood there looking at who is going to do this. Who, and they're looking perhaps to the religious leaders who everyone else would have expected to be the people to represent the kingdom of God on earth. Those people who had done the training. Those people who were respected and revered by the religious authorities around them. But Jesus turns to his disciples and says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not these guys. Not these guys who think they've got it all right. But you are the light of the world. 
Because Jesus knew something really important. That being the light of the world wasn't about having all the knowledge and all the experience of all the world. Being the light of the world was about remaining in him, as we read in John 14. And John 4, whatever, John chapter we just heard. That it's about remaining in the presence of Jesus, shining the true light to those who need him the most. He says, you are the light of the world because he knows that his disciples, those around him, I know they're still working it out and I know they still make mistakes, but he knows they've got it. He knows they're going to get it. He knows that they are going to know at the end of their time with him who he really is. And they are going to have spent time cultivating a relationship with him that enabled them to share the light of Jesus with the world. And boy, did they go on to do that. But everyone around them would have been asking the question, seriously, them? You want them to be the light of the world? And they would have been asking the same questions of themselves. You, of themselves. you want us to be the light of the world? How is that even possible? What, why, why us, Jesus? Why have you chosen us? And if it's a call and it's a challenge to the disciples, then it's a call and it's a challenge to us today. That Jesus has called us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He's called us to make a difference. As I was uh, preparing for this, as I was uh, praying for this sermon series, um, because what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is looking at the different places in which we're called to be salt and light. So what does it mean to be salt and light at work? What does it mean to be salt and light in your family home? What does it mean to be salt and light in your neighbourhood? What does it mean to even be salt and light to your enemies, to those around you who, who you struggle with? And we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. <clears throat> and as I was praying... Um, at the start of the new year for this, I was on a late night dog walk, which is uh, one of my favorite times to pray. Uh, and I got to the end of our road and, and it was a pretty dark night. Um, and the second that I prayed that we as a church would shine and we as a benefice would shine brighter than we've ever shone before, a security light pinged on as I walked through past its sensor. And it was a really, really bright one. It was one of those posh LED ones, really bright, shone the whole path. And I thought, actually, yes, this is part of what being a light is about because part of being a light is shining the way to what people need. It's showing what people need. And that's what the John passage is about. Is he says, the world cannot understand what Jesus has done, but you know. You know Jesus. You know who he is. You know what he can offer. You know what he brings to this world. You know that he is the light of the world as he describes himself as John chapter 8. You know he's the light. And you can shine, or you can point people, you can reflect that light to those who need him the most. And so for me it was significant that it was a security light and not just any light because Jesus offers that that sense of security and refuge as he provides forgiveness of sin to those who repent and turn to him as he offers life and hope and all the things that Jesus brings, peace, joy and suffering, all of those things that Jesus can offer to this world. That we are to be that light that shines the light of Jesus, that reflects the light of Jesus to the world. And as I was praying, okay, God, that's great. If you want us to shine, how do you want us to shine? And then I turned around and I looked under the light. And the first sign that I saw was a sign. It was above a parking space, which explains why it was there. And it just said these words, 24-7 access. And I realized we have 24-7 access to the source of the light. We as Christians have 24-7 access to the true light of the world. And the question is... Are we making the most of that access? 
Are we really cultivating that relationship the way that we are called to cultivate that relationship? Because any sense, any hope we have to shine as a light to the world can only ever be a reflection of the true light that is Jesus. When you think of Moses in the Old Testament, there's this beautiful scene where Moses comes down glowing and radiant. Now, he's not glowing and radiant for the whole of his life. He's not always walking around as this glowing, radiant, beautiful person. He's a broken, fallen human person like the rest of us. But the reason he comes down glowing from Mount Sinai is because he has been in the presence of God and he is radiating that presence. The question is, are we... Are we radiating the presence of Jesus to those around us? Because that kind of sharing the light, that kind of shining the light can only come from a relationship. You can only share with the world what you know yourself. You can only show to the world what you yourself know. You can only share a relationship that you yourself are aware of, that you're in, that you're deeply in. If you want to share the light of Jesus, we need to know the Jesus that we're sharing. We need to know what being a light actually looks like. And he has shown us what being a light actually looks like. As we celebrate Christmas of Emmanuel, God with us, as he comes to bring light to this dark, dark world, how does he do that? He does that by shining and showing the love of God in how he relates to everybody. He shows forgiveness and we too are called to show that love and to show that forgiveness the way that we've been forgiven. He cares for the broken. He stands up for injustice. He does all those things that Jesus does. And you might be sitting here this morning and thinking, how can I possibly be a light to this world? How can I do anything that will make any kind of difference? Well, you are in good company because I almost guarantee the disciples asked themselves that exact same question the moment Jesus said it. As he turned to them and said, you are the light of the world, they would have been terrified, probably, a little bit perplexed as to why Jesus had chosen them. They would have been asking the questions, how can I be a light to this world? And Jesus then, through the rest of his teaching and through everything he shows them that we have as the Gospels tell us, says it's all about cultivating that relationship, being as part in relationship with that one true source of the light and so reflecting him to the world. And really, it doesn't take a lot of light to make a big difference. It's not about big acts, necessarily. It's not about those big grand gestures. It's not about traveling abroad and bringing a missionary to another country in order to be a light. It's about being a light where you are called to be. And that's what we hope we're going to do as we explore over uh, the next few weeks what it means to be a light where you are. Now, it's not insignificant that it's also, from the diocesan point of view, it's called the year of vocation. And what that means is the diocese is wanting to look like, what does it mean to have a calling? What does it mean to have a purpose? What does it mean to know what your calling is? And having a vocation isn't about just getting a dog collar. Uh, that's what we're breaking down this year and saying vocation is about fulfilling God's purpose where you are called to be. And part of that is wherever you work, Wherever you live, wherever you have influence over other people of any kind, even the most introverted person in the world is thought to have influence over at least a hundred other people in their life. So wherever you are called to have influence, where can you be a light? Where can you shine wherever you are called to be? But if we want to do that, if we want to reflect the light and the love of Jesus 
then we need to know him ourselves better first. That's why the vision this year is to ask those questions that are blocking that, that are stopping that from happening. Uh, And so we encourage you to do that. Uh, One thing I forgot to say earlier, if you weren't here last week for the vision, there is a sheet of paper that uh, I think hopefully explains it as well as we can on a piece of paper. Uh, But do ask us what the vision for the year is. But what our hope is and what my prayer is, is that the light, that security light, we will shine and point the way in this dark world to the light of Jesus. That we will make the most of the 24-7 access we have with the true source of the light, that is the person of Jesus Christ. That we may grow closer to him, and as we do that, we may radiate him to this world that so desperately needs him, I think, more than ever, ever before. So may you know that like the disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So in him and with him, let's shine. Amen.